This morning, if you have your Bibles, turn if you would, 2 Timothy. We're going to begin in verse number 1. The Apostle Paul gave us three letters that he wrote, two of them are to Timothy, one to Titus, but we call them the pastoral epistles. They are things for the church. But here in this one, this is a very different letter somewhat from the other two. Beginning in verse number 1, the Word of God says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience and without ceasing. I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, <laughs> and of love and of a sound mind. Be not there thou for ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Father God, thank you so much for this precious book, God. Thank you for the power. Word of God, speak, Lord. I ask you right now, would you speak through the handwritten love letter that you've given us, God? I pray you'd forgive me, clean me up, make me a usable vessel that you might use me to speak, God. Number one, to anybody that's lost, that souls might be saved today. But God, I pray you'd help me that I could speak to your children, God. Will you use your word? Will you speak, Father, to your children? I pray you'd lift us up. Help us, God, to stir up the gift that is within us, God. The blessing that we have from you, the gift of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might be a light to a dark and dreary world, God, that we might be a, a witness, a living testimony, God. I ask you to move upon your people today, Father. I pray you'd be in this place. May your Holy Spirit do what only you can do. Take this letter and divide it up however many ways of the people that's here that you might speak to every individual independently, God, that we might walk out of this place a better servant than we were when we come in. We love you, God. You've been very good to us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Paul is encouraging Timothy in the faith. He, he is, is preparing him for some tough times that, that lie ahead. I want to bring a message this morning on stirring up the gift of God that is in you. Timothy seems to have been probably broken-hearted at the purpose of losing this man that is like a father figure to him. We don't know what happened to Timothy's father. He speaks of mother and grandmother, but we see that the father is probably not in the equation. For some reason, he's not in the picture. But it seems very much so that the Apostle Paul is a father figure here to young Timothy, and he sees something special in Timothy. He sees that there's something about him, something that God had his hand on this young man. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You can just see something in some and know that God has a touch on their life and plans to use them. Paul had desired to come and to visit with Timothy. It was his heart's desire. He wanted to come see him. He wanted 
to visit and talk with him face to face. But those plans were interrupted by the world. They were interrupted by Nero who had Paul arrested for simply preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes you have plans, things you want to do. You may even think that God ought to give you the ability to go do them. But God has a different plan. Things get interrupted. So the apostle Paul put things. Now I want you to think about it. Had Paul gone and visited, he probably never writes this letter. If he doesn't write this letter, then we don't have the third of the pastoral epistles. We don't have the handwritten letter that God wrote. We don't have the things that we're looking at here today. God always has a purpose. God always has a plan. And whether we understand it or not, it's always greater than anything that we can ask or think. It's always above our own expectations. It's always greater because he is greater. He doesn't think like we do. Anybody say amen, it's okay in the house of God. So by the time Paul has written this letter, he's not only in prison, but he realizes that his days on earth are numbered. He realizes that death is soon approaching. In the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, he expresses that he is a free man in that letter. He talks about it. Now the letter was just three years ago when Paul wrote 1 Timothy. He wrote the first letter. It was about three years before the second one. And he expresses that he is a free man but here in this second letter in chapter 4 for the first time in all of his epistles this is probably the last letter that Paul wrote first time in all the epistles Paul speaks of the fact that his departure is at hand this, this second letter in the three of the pastoral epistles probably written somewhere around 67 AD it's right somewhere near the end of Nero's reign when he sends this out it has a very different atmosphere from the first two pastoral epistles being 1 Timothy and Titus. It has a very different texture, a different feeling. The first two are very formal. They're dealing with problems within the church. They're dealing with, with some things that have arisen, some conflict within the church, rules and regulations. Um, they're, they're dealing with some things. They're very formal letters, but this is a very personal type letter written to my dearly beloved son, which makes us think that Paul is probably the one who possibly may have even been the one to lead Timothy to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though we see that his mother and his grandmother had a great influence and they were Christians and I have no doubt that they prayed earnestly for Timothy. How many of you know that a lot of times your mother and your daddy and your grandmother and all those that prayed for you, they're not the ones who actually got to lead you to the Lord. They're just the one who prayed for you and kept you in the way. But somebody else came along. So based on the wording of the letter, it would seem that maybe the Apostle Paul is the one who got to lead Timothy to the Lord Jesus Christ. So not only is he in prison while he's writing this last letter, but we also know that Paul has been abandoned by most of his friends. How many of you, when you got saved, those around you began to separate themselves from you? You didn't have to separate yourself from the world. All you had to do was start asking them about Jesus, tell them about something that happened in your life. They begin to see the change in you, and because of that, they begin to separate themselves. Sometimes God calls you to a higher purpose, and even people in the church begin to distance themselves from you. I don't need to get over there. I'll get off into meddling a little bit. But Paul has been abandoned by most of his friends. And in this departure letter here, it gives a very detailed account of some things that are going to take place here on this earth. He, he tells of some very harsh times, some very different times. Now it's obvious that Timothy holds a special place here in the Apostle Paul's heart. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. We see in verse number 4 that Timothy's faith brings great joy to the Apostle Paul. This is greatly de desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. And then in verse number 5, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith 
that is in thee. Paul is encouraging Timothy. He's making every effort to strengthen him in the ministry because the increasing attacks on Christianity is more and more evident every day. I'm not talking about 2020 yet. I might in a minute, but I'm still talking about in 67 AD. The increasing attacks, the persecution on Christianity is on the rise. Many Christians are being arrested in that day. Many of them are being martyred in that day. And it's obvious to the Apostle Paul that there's this mounting peril on the church. It is obvious that the world around them is setting its sights on the church, on the children of God, and there's an attack coming. And so Paul is this, he's writing this letter during this troubling time, during the rise. This isn't, this isn't in the 300 years of persecution. This is at the beginning of the 300 years of persecution. Paul's trying to let them know, hey, Timothy, hold on to your faith. There's some tough times. Come, oh, man, don't give up. Don't give in. Hold on to the Word of God. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to what you know is real. Hold on to the feeling that's inside of you. It's the Holy Spirit of God that indwells the temple. Hold on to what matters. There's some tough times coming. Revelation chapter 1. Jesus said to John, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Jesus and here in chapter 2 of Revelation begins to dictate a letter to John. It is a letter written to the seven churches. We've looked at it before. I've told you before. These are seven literal churches, but they represent seven church ages. In this first letter, it is the apostolic years. Here in this letter that, that Paul writes to Timothy, we are approaching the end of the first church age, the year of apostolic years, and we're coming into a time of persecution. He says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, that the angel that's right unto the angel of the church at Ephesus, write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Has borne and has, has patience for my name's sake, has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against it, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I hate, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith in the churches. To him that overcome, I will give to eat of the fruit, of, of eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That is the apostolic age. That is the time that is coming to an end. That is the time in which Timothy was saved. But there's a new day dawning. There's a new time coming. There's a change in the atmosphere. There's a change towards the way the world's looking at Christianity. There's a change in society. And in between those two periods, this transition occurs. And Jesus writes to the next church in verse number 8. He says to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write these things, saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. <laughs> I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. He shall have tribulation ten days, but be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. 
He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. For three centuries after this, the Christians faced severe persecution. They were, the, the, the Roman Empire there was ruthless. They, they had ten different Caesars who imposed their punishment. They were very harsh on anybody who gave worship to anyone but Caesar. So you had this, this great Roman Empire on the rise here as he's writing. Paul's letter to Timothy, he knows, he tells us that his departure is at hand. And he knows that, that Timothy is going to have to learn to stand on his own two feet. Paul's not going to be there to encourage him. He's not going to be there to pull him along. He's going to have to stand. He's going to have to learn how to gain strength from Christ. In Christ alone, listen, you can call me anytime you want to. I'll pray with you anytime you want to. I'll get with you anytime you want to. I'll love on you anytime you want to. But I am not your source. When you absolutely need something, you need to walk into the throne room of God by yourself and talk to the Holy Spirit of God by yourself. You need to get along with God. You need to learn to stand on your own two feet. It's not the power of God in me working through you. It's the power of God in you. When you got saved, you got a full dose of the Holy Ghost. You didn't get part of it then and get part of it later. You didn't get a little sanctified then and get fully sanctified later. You got washed in the blood of the Lamb of God. You got filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You got all you're ever going to need. You got the unlimited power of an unlimited God moving inside of you. All you need to do is walk into the throne room of God Almighty and tell Him what's bothering you. You need strength, go in and ask Him for strength. You need help, go in and ask Him for help. You need healing, go in and ask Him for healing. You need hope, go in and ask Him for hope. He is your unlimited source. He is your unlimited supply. Paul says, I'm not going to be here always and forever. you got to learn to walk into the throne room of God on your own and spend some time in prayer, and it's God that will carry you through. Here in this letter, his departure is at hand. The, the, the word that Paul uses here in verse 5 to describe Timothy's faith, he uses the word unfeigned. It uses a Greek word that I ought not even try to pronunciate. How about anupokriotos? Your guess is good as mine. But it's translated, of course, here is unfeigned. But it means other things. It means things like sincere. It is without hypocrisy. Can I just time out and say I ain't talking about anybody in here, anybody listening. So don't go ahead and turn me off just yet. I ain't done. Some people like to play church. There's darts coming all up from around here. Some people are good pretenders. Some people are real churchy when they come to the church house on Sunday. Some people are real churchy when they get around church people. Just don't run into them on the golf course. Or, or check out what might be on their tables in restaurants when they think nobody's around. There, there's a lot of people like to, to play church. They're, they're pretenders, but then, then there's others that, that Christian living is just a way of life. Whew. I almost want to back up to yesterday, Miss Teresa. There's some of them that it's just a real deal. Some of them is just sold out what's in them. Some of them is just what's there. They don't have to pretend anything. They don't have to put on a church front around churchy people. They don't have to act like they're proud to get to come to church. They're just filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And they're just, they're just proud to be saints of God. Doesn't matter where they are or who they're with. 
Christ just shows up in them and shows up through them. Paul can see that in Timothy. Paul says, you're the real deal, son. You got a dose of the can't help it. You got God all over you. Paul's been around too long to be fooled by shallow Christianity and superficial make-believe. Paul has a spirit that connects with those. You want to know how you know if somebody's a Christian when you're around them. Just know whether or not the spirit connects. If the spirit don't agree, there's an issue. And it's either on your side of the fence or theirs. And I got a pretty good idea. It ain't on mine. Paul says, you're, you're the real deal. He is filled with joy because Timothy's faith is real. And Paul knows that, that there's going to be a need. Somebody listen. In the days ahead, in the troubling times that's coming, in the 300 years of persecution that are about to take place, when the devil is about to unleash some things on this world, when everything is life as we knew it, there's going to be a new norm. Everything has changed. There's going to have to be some solid, sincere Filled with the Holy Ghost of God. Spirit-filled Christians to make things keep going in the days that lie ahead. Paul looks at Timothy and he says, he, you're one of them. You're one of the ones. God's got his hand on you. So he's looking to encourage Timothy. And he reminds him of what he saw in his mother and in his grandmother. This is the only time in all the Word of God that we find grandmother. We never see the word grandfather. But this one time we see this word grandmother. We, we don't ever see it again. But Paul reminds Timothy that there was an example that was set before him. This one time that we see it, it shows us that what a grandmother ought to be like. It's the one who sets an example for their family. Grandmoms, you paying attention? Granddaddies, you're in on this too. I don't care if it says it or not. You rest assured God's got it there for you. You ought to be the one that sets an example for your family. You ought to be the one that tells your children and your grandchildren about Jesus Christ. You ought to be the one that leads them in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they'll not depart from it. He gives us an example of what mothers and, and grandmothers look like. And he, he reminds them of what your mother was like. He reminds them of what his grandmother was like. Sometimes that's something good for all of us to do. Everybody in here doesn't have that testimony. I get that. Some of you, God, reached into a house full of lost people and pulled you out. Praise God. And if nobody else in your family ever gets saved, praise God that he reached in there and got you. But I tend to think that the majority of us have a Christian background. I would think that the majority, being better than half, have that mother, that grandmother. You know, that mom and that grandma just would never stop praying. <laughs> Whoa, they just held on to the coattail of God. They kept calling out your name in the throne room of mercy and grace. They just kept crying out, God, hold on to my baby. I know he's out there in the world. I know what he's living like. I pretend like I don't, but I know how he's acting. I know what he's doing, but I know your grace is sufficient. They just wouldn't come out of the throne room. They just kept staying on their knees. Woo! They just kept calling out your name until God reached down to where you were one day and pulled you out of the fires of hell and washed you off and wrote your name down. Some of us have got a testimony. We ought to think back sometimes. We ought to remember testimonies. I remember I was about 12, 14 years old. We used to have a little bit of everything. We had a lot of chickens and a lot of pigs. And we had some cows and a few horses. And I remember some of the chickens were sitting. That means you're going to have some baby chickens. For those of you who weren't raised in the country, that means they're sitting on the eggs. That means you don't get to eat those eggs. They're going to be baby chickens. And, and you build coops. You build cages to put them up, get them up off the ground. 
And so we were building this chicken coop, and we were doing some wire cutting, and I remember a piece of the wire poked my mom right in the wrist, and blood just went to gush and must have hit a vein. Being 12, 14 years old scared me to death. I always heard you cut your wrist, you're going to bleed to death and die. So, so I start wanting my mom to, to go to the doctor, but here's the deal. That thing pooped, pooped, pooped right in her wrist right there. Blood went to pouring out, and my mama went to praying. My mom's just holding blood running. She's just praying. I'm wanting to go to the doctor. Well, it just happened to be one of the few times that my grandmama was visiting with her. My mama's mama. I told y'all I was rich in tradition. Well, I get it on it. I was that old school Pentecostal stuff. I was raised in a lot of traditions of men. I'll go ahead and give you that. And I ain't got over some of them yet. So y'all just excuse me. I'm going to keep on preaching the coat and tie. I don't care if you like it or not. I do and I can't preach any other way. It ain't a tradition of men. It's just what I believe. It's what's in me. It's what I'm comfortable. I'll be comfortable in my skin. You'll be comfortable in yours. I don't care if you wear your holy shorts or don't, your holy t-shirt. I don't care what you wear. It ain't got nothing to do with me. But I had, I had to learn some stuff. My grandma was one of them old school. My, my, my grandma didn't believe in doctors. Anybody know that old school religion? Y'all just trust in God. Well, I'm sorry. I do trust in God. I think he gave me a doctor. I think he gave me a doctor smart enough to give him answers. I think he gave us medicine. I think he gave us chemo. I think he gave us everything we got. God didn't give it, we wouldn't have it. I finally talked my mom into going to a doctor, and everything was okay. But I remember, I don't know, probably 20 years ago, Robin's going to remember this. Probably about 20 years ago, I think we were over at LaGrange Park, over at Granger Park. We had a Little League ball game. I was coaching Little League baseball, and we had the next game. The game's going on there beside it. I've got my team gathered up right here, and they're all sitting around. They all got their bat bags and their gloves and all we gathered up, and one of, one of the young men on my team was a very prominent family in this town, so everybody would know him, so I'll leave names out because it really doesn't matter. They didn't do anything wrong. They're just part of this story. They, they just get to be in on it. But, but the, the middle son was on my team. The older son was age up. younger son was a couple years smaller, and, and he gets out his bat. That middle son, he's got his bat, and he begins to loosen up, and he begins to swing a little bit just trying to get loose. And a little bit, he does a big old roundhouse swing, and what he didn't know is his little brother was standing behind him. And the bat hit him right dead in the mouth, split his lip wide open. You don't know if there's any teeth in his head or not. There's blood everywhere. He's screaming. Mama's screaming. She's holding blood's all over Mama. Daddy's over there. There's a crowd of people gathered around. Man, I mean, <laughs> everybody's gathering. Everybody's looking in. Somebody's handing them ice. Here, put ice on it. Here, here's a towel. Put a towel on it to get up the blood. Everybody's gathered around, and, and it's like the game over there might as well not even be played because everybody's over here. There's a big old crowd. <laughs> they ain't but one thing I remember about that day. <laughs> that mama was sitting right there on the ground holding that baby. He's screaming, and he's bleeding. And my mama is standing right over him. Oh, God. Oh, God, pray you reach down and touch him now, God. May you reach down and touch this little boy. Let mama know it's going to be okay. Let him know the grace of God's sufficient. You're going to hold him up. Let your healing hand, your power reach down and touch. My mama didn't know nobody else was around. She didn't care nobody else was around. It didn't matter that nobody else was around. It was her and God. She had a one-line connection, standing there calling out for God. I'm just saying sometimes... You need to remember your roots. You need to remember where you come from because that was the same mama that I believe prayed me right out of hell. Sometimes we just got to remember where we come from. Last week we looked at uncertain times, being certain during uncertain times. 
If you remember, one of the things we looked at was you got to look back on some memorials in your life. That was a memorial. That, that is something that is stuck in my mind. That is a memorial of what true prayer, true Christianity looks like. Holding on to God when nobody else seems to be paying any attention. To me, the Apostle Paul gives Timothy the greatest compliment he could ever give him right here. Not only does he say, I see your faith, he says, but I see in you what I saw in your mom and your grandmama. I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, it ain't happening, it probably never will, because I'm just too far from the core. But if any of you ever want to tell me I'm like my mom or my daddy, feel free to do so. That'd be the greatest compliment you'll ever give me. I realize you'd probably be just not telling the truth, and you'd be doing it now to make me feel good since I said that. God help us. He says your faith is unfeigned. It means it's true. Your faith is sincere. I see no hypocrisy in you. You're the real deal. You have the same faith that was in them. It's obvious by the fact that we still have this letter 2,000 years later that this letter became a memorial in Timothy's life. It's obvious that he kept this letter because we still have it. It was very well preserved. You know what that tells me? From time to time, Timothy pulled this letter out. Times got hard, things got difficult. He pulled it out and he read it again. It was strength. You know, in the ministry, like Timothy is, a little encouragement sometimes can go a long way. I believe he pulled this letter out. But verse number 6, Paul encourages Timothy by reminding him of what he has, the gift of God that's in him. And he says, stir up the gift. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. See, I'm not sure if Paul is concerned at this point that Timothy's faith may be growing weak or if he's looking ahead at knowing what is to come and the Holy Spirit is showing him something and he's guarding against his faith growing weak. But for whatever reason, the Apostle Paul says, stir up the gift. Stir up the Spirit. Stir up what's inside you. You're going to need it. That, that's great advice for all of us. He's saying, stir up what's inside of you. Stir up that feeling. Listen, listen, the gift of God within us is no different than anything else that's in us. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. You take a professional golfer. The reason he gets out there and he plays every day is because if he don't use it, he's going to lose it. You take athletes, you take bodybuilders. They work out every day different parts of their body, their muscles, because if they don't exercise it, they're going to lose it. You take cross-country runners they don't just show up they exercise every day they exercise by running their legs their body everything about it they, they exercise so that they don't lose it you take musicians these guys don't just show up here and play on Sunday they exercise the gift that God has given them I can tell you I know what it's like to lose that gift I've told you before I played a saxophone from the fourth grade up to my junior year of high school I played it in I would tend to think, looking back, I had to have been pretty good. And the only reason I say that is because I was always first chair in the band. I was in the concert band. I was in the competition band. Everywhere we went, I remember playing concerts all the time until the 11th grade when my band director decided, son, you need to decide if you're going to play football or if you're going to be in the band. I said, that's probably the easiest choice you've ever given me to make. 42 years ago, I took the reed out and put it in the case, put it back down in the case. I took the mouthpiece off. 
put it in its spot. I took the neck out of the saxophone, put it in its spot. I wiped off that gold saxophone. I wiped off those pearl keys. I put it in the case. I laid a towel over and I shut it 42 years ago. I can tell you where the saxophone's sitting in my attic right now. I've never taken it out again. I've never blown it again. I've never exercised it again. And because I haven't, I've lost it. I couldn't tell you one note. If I tried to wet that reed and put it in, it would squeal like a hurt pig. I wouldn't even know where to start to try to play it. I did not exercise it, so I lost it. Paul says, stir up the gift. Stir up what is within us. If we don't, we're going to lose it. Listen, it doesn't matter COVID-19 or any other time. If we want to stay close to God, it's up to us to stir up the gift that's in us. It is up to us to draw closer to God, even in times of adversity. Stir up the gift. That's the only time we find this word. Paul uses a lot of words in this part of the passage. Only time we see them. Now, you'll find the word stir up. You'll find English stir up in the Word of God. But what you won't find is this Greek word used anywhere else in the Word of God. The translation, of course, as it tells us here, means stir up. But it also means to rekindle. It means to reignite or to stir up, to, to stir the flame, to, to get the fire back, to, to knock the ashes off the coal. you got to be stirred up. You know, there comes a time in every Christian's life. Now, there may be some super spiritual, and you ain't going to admit it, and that's okay. You sit in your super spiritual world and look down your nose at a heathen like me because there are some times in, I need to say, most Christians' lives that, that things just don't seem right. There begins to be this, this little bit of growing distance. You know, everybody's probably been around a campfire, haven't you? And the campfire gets died down. And, and the flame has gotten small. Sometimes you don't even have to add wood to it. All you got to do is kick the logs a couple times. Poke it up a little bit. The sky looks like a fireworks show. All the ash comes off the wood. It flies up into the night sky. But when you... St- when you stir it up a little bit, the flame begins to get brighter. The heat becomes more intense. It be, all you did was stir it up. You ain't added nothing to You ain't took nothing away. You just stirred it up a little bit. Sometimes our fire gets burned down a little bit in this Christian life. It, it doesn't mean that, that you're backslidden and living in sin. It doesn't mean that you've gone back to your old way of life. It doesn't mean that, that you've walked away from the faith. It doesn't mean... That, that you no longer have a love for God or a relationship with God. It, it doesn't mean that, that you're no longer saved. It simply means that things aren't what they once were. We blame things on other people. We blame things on other stuff. We say it has to be somebody's fault. It is. It's yours. It's not anybody else. God desires a relationship with you. Personal one-on-one relationship with you. You know what that tells me? I can be as close to God as I want to be. It's up to me. You can be as close to God as you want to be. It's up to you. All you got to do is spend daily time reading. Our, our relationship is there. God desires it. He's just waiting on us. But for whatever reason, for whatever reason, sometimes we just get that feeling that we're just not as close as we once were. It doesn't have to be COVID-19, although it has been lately. Wearing masks and can't hug on people the way you want to and some social distance and, distance and all, all that's going on and We begin to miss that fellowship of the church. It's good to have that back. Oh, it's good to have y'all back in here. I got so tired of preaching to myself in here, hoping somebody out there was watching. As long as that red light was on, I had hope that somebody was watching. It's so good to have the encouragement of the family back in the house of God. It's so good to have us all back together. It's just so good. I feel your energy. I feel your spirit that that comes in. But, But sometimes things just get 
die down a little bit. See, Paul is telling Timothy, there's some tough times coming. Exercise your faith. But Paul would never tell him to do anything if he didn't tell him how, would he? The Word of God never told us to do something without telling us how to do something. So he goes on, he gives him a reminder in verse number 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If it's fear, then it's not of God. If it is anxiety, it's not of God. If it is worry, it's not of God. If it is nervousness about the times, nervousness about the situation, nervous about what's going on, it's not of God. It is the devil. It is the enemy who uses fear to disengage Christians. It is the enemy who uses fear to disarm, even paralyze Christians, stop them, freeze them in their tracks. Fear can paralyze even the strongest of Christians. Even people that you never thought it would get to, you say, it won't ever happen to me. Well, you're next. The devil just wrote down your name and number. You're next on the list. You think about the Apostle Peter. Think about all the mighty things that God did through him. I can talk about Peter and say, hey, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He made the lame to walk. He walked on water. That's Peter. I ain't talking about Jesus. Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I command thee to rise up and walk. It's the name of Jesus Christ. Same name you got. It's the power of Jesus Christ. Same power you got. It's the hope of Jesus Christ. Same hope you've got. But it was the apostle Peter that God used to do great and mighty acts. Yet one night, that same Peter standing around a campfire warming himself. But it was a night of uncertainty. It was a night when the master had been arrested. It was a night when the enemy brought fear and fear crept in. And Peter himself denied that he even knew who Jesus Christ was. Saul is the anointed leader of Israel. He's the captain of the army, king over God's nation. Saul is the one that was anointed in the beginning. But yet you find Saul in all the armies of Israel, the nation of God, the children of God, the anointed of God, the appointed of God. You find the whole army standing on the side of a valley, looking down paralyzed by fear of one man named Goliath. Fear can paralyze a child of God if you let it creep in. Fear doesn't come from God. God only allows the situation to present itself so that we have to decide whether or not we're going to trust God right now. Paul tells Timothy, be not afraid, but then he gives him this ammunition. First, he says that God has given us the spirit of power. The word used there for power is a Greek word that means miraculous power. It means supernatural strength, beyond what you can expect. It is miraculous strength. Paul says that when we put our faith in God and when we exercise our faith in God, that the power that we can have is beyond comprehension. It's important for us to remember that through Christ we have an unlimited power, just like that that David had when he stood before Goliath. There was no fear. It was the unlimited power of God. He put all of his trust in the one that was a game changer, a difference maker. He put all of his trust in the right place. The enemy had no power at all over David. Somebody wake up on Sunday morning. And the same enemy has no power over you. If you're living your life in the name of Jesus Christ, the world, the enemy, the media, everything that's going on has no power over you or your situation. God controls everything. You remember when Jesus stood before Pilate? 
And Pilate looked at Jesus. We do it right up here on the scene in the He's Alive Easter play. And he said, do you not know? He's asking Jesus, the Son of the living God. Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you on a Roman cross? Or I have the power to set you free? (laughs) Jesus says, to the highest authority on planet earth in the day. Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except that we're given thee from above. No enemy has any power over you, not even the devil, except God allows the situation. And if God allows the situation, it's because God wants to rise up and do something mighty in you. If God allows the situation, he's up to something. The second thing Paul gives to Timothy here is he says he's given us a spirit of love. Jesus, questioned there in Matthew 22, he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself on these two commandments. Hang all the law and the prophet. That simply means if you keep those two commandments, if you love God first and your brother second, then you won't have any problem keeping the rest of the law. You won't have any problem keeping the commandments. Sermon on the Mount, you've heard that it has been said, Love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them, which despitefully use you and persecute you. 1 John chapter 4, and we know and we believe in God, that the love that God hath through us, that God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because he is as he is, so are we in this world. But there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Y'all still with me? You got 5, 10, 15, 30 more minutes? We ain't having Sunday night service anyway, so I got the rest of the day, right? Anybody got to go home? Your nap's coming. Lunch will be good. We'll get there in a few minutes. Y'all got a few more minutes? Because you're going to have to put your thinking hat on right here. Nudge the person beside you. Wake them up. They've been napping long enough anyway. I know I had been preaching 20 minutes. That's a pretty good nap. 10-minute power nap's over. Right. You, you got to put, put on your thinking, your thinking hat right here. You, you got to remember, Jesus loved Pilate. What? Jesus loved the Roman guards. What? Jesus loved Caiaphas, the high priest, the one that sold him out. For 30 pieces of silver, had him brought in, brought him before uh, the, the governor, brought him before Pilate, wanting to have him crucified. He loved the one that sold him out. Jesus loved the one like me that drove the nails in his hands and his feet. Jesus loved the one that plucked the beard out of his face and spit on him, mocked him. Jesus loved the one that put the bag over his head, punched him in the face, said, now prophesy, son of God. Tell us who did it. Jesus loved even the enemy. And because of the love, Jesus had no fear. He loved the father first. He loved the neighbor second. And he knew that the father loved him most. Therefore, he had absolutely no fear because he knew that the father is always in control of the situation. Jesus Christ was exactly what God intended for man to be in the first place. 
when, when Adam was created in, in God's likeness and God's image, he was created what man was supposed to be. It was the same as God, which is Jesus Christ. Therefore, there was no fear. When we truly understand how much God loves us and we truly love God back, Fear has no place in our lives because we know that God loves us and whatever's happening, God is in control over it would not happen. But then the third thing that Paul gives, my last one, maybe, is the power of a sound mind. I'm just going to step out on a limb and say controlling the mind is a very difficult task. Is there an amen in the house? Am I up here all by myself? Controlling my deeds is one thing. Controlling my actions is one thing. Controlling the things that you see on the surface is one thing. But, oh, God, if I could control what goes on up here. It's worse than the tongue. I'll go ahead and promise you that. The Bible says we could control the tongue. If we could tame the tongue, I promise you, there's a lot of things going in here that, praise God, somehow don't slip out right here. Boy, if we could just control the mind. Once again, only time we find this Greek word that Paul uses here for a sound mind, it is to have self-control. That that means to be self-disciplined when we're saved. I've said it many times before, but Jesus has to be more than just your Savior. He's not just your fire insurance. He has to be Lord of your life. He has to be the difference maker. He has to be the game changer. He has to have all power and all control once we're saved. We must be willing to surrender our hearts and mind and and give everything to him that we become under the complete control of the Holy Spirit of God. And, And when we do things that way, when we bathe our mind in the Word of God, if we allow God to direct our thoughts, the fear will have no place in our hearts. Because God ain't afraid of nothing. Nor does he have a reason to be. So Paul is telling Timothy, get a hold of yourself. You got some troubling times coming. I mentioned marathon, long-distance runners a minute ago. I'll go ahead and tell you, if a long-distance runner waits until the week of the race to begin to train, he's not going to be ready for the race. If he waits until the race is at hand, he's not going to be ready. So he trains day in and day out. Week in and week out. He runs in the hot days. He runs on the cold days. He runs when the sun's shining. He, he run, runs when it's raining. There's never a time. No matter what the season of the situation holds, he's always in training. The same thing is true with the life of the Christian. The same thing is true with the child of God. The same thing is true with the one which is called by my name. You can't wait until the race gets here. You can't wait until the storm shows up. If you wait until the trial comes, if you wait until the situation arises, you're not going to be ready. If you wait until the situation comes and circumstances begin to turn downhill, and then you try to pray, and then you try to get your life in order, and, and, and then you try to get things straightened out, and then you try to build your relationship with God, you're not going to be ready. It involves daily Bible reading, whether it's raining or sunny outside. It involves a daily life of prayer, regardless of what the weather's doing outside. It, regards, it, it requires a, a daily devotion Time alone, getting along with God on rainy days, when you feel like it and when you don't, when the sun's out and when it ain't. It is a daily commitment. It takes a sold-out life of training to walk in the power of God. And that's what Paul's telling Timothy. See, after this letter, for the next 300 years, 
the church endures persecution. Christians are not just arrested. They're sawn in half. Matter of fact, Christians were placed on stakes over the streets of Rome at night. Their bodies were lit on fire alive, and they screamed in agonizing pain till they burned to death, and their body was left to burn on a stake over the streets of Rome to light the Roman streets at night. There was severe persecution against the church, severe persecution. There's no time for Timothy and all the others to be ashamed of what God had done for them. There was no time to be ashamed of what God was doing in them. There's no time to be ashamed of what God is doing through you. It's time for the church, the Christian, you know, called in his name. The, those that, that have been washed in the blood, it's time, well, let, me just, let me just leave out all the questions. It's time for you and I. You and I. It's time for us as children of God to, to step up and, and walk with God because when we're walking with God, nothing can happen to us except God allows it. You don't even have to fear death. You can't leave here until God's through with you. You will not leave this earth until God has fulfilled the purpose that he gave you to fulfill. And when he takes you, he was done with you. He fulfilled whatever, and now there's something behind that you left that God's going to do through them if we did what God put us here to do. You, you don't have to worry about death. You don't have to worry about anything. Nothing is going to happen to you as a child of God, walking in the presence of God, except God allows it. Anybody, anybody disagree with that? If you are, you need to meet me right after church. We've got a whole lot of Bible we've got to read. We've got a whole lot of things we need to go over. Think about in the garden when, when they came and arrested Jesus. And Peter pulled out a sword and he cut off Malcolm's ear, one of the guards from the high priest's office. Y'all remember the story, right? And, and, and Jesus, Matthew 26, 52, told Peter, Put up again thy sword into its place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Verse 53. Thinkest thou that I cannot pray to my father? And he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? The same thing is true in our life. If the devil tried to do anything to you or to this church or to this country or anything else, if the devil tried to do anything that God wasn't going to allow, he would send 12 legions of angels, if that's what it took, to put a stop to whatever's going on just to protect you. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession on our behalf as our intercessor so that nothing happens to us. He is praying for you and I. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hand. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, the word of God says that we are to pray without ceasing. Luke 18.1 tells us that men ought Always to pray, amen. James 5, 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We're to be a people of prayer. 
We, we can't wait. We can't wait to see what's going to happen. We've got to pray now. I, I don't know what November 3rd holds, but it don't matter. I'm not going to wait until November 2nd to start praying. I've got to pray now. I don't know what January 1, 2021 comes or if it even comes, but I can't wait until December 31st of 2020, although I will be celebrating that day when this year goes out. I'll go ahead and tell you that one. That might be the one time I, I, I don't know if I'm going to celebrate the new year, but I'm going to celebrate one leaving. I'm about tired of 2020. There's been, there's been too many negatives, man. There's a lot more than COVID-19. Seems like what a, we're in that kind of time where whatever can go wrong does go wrong. Good night, man. I'll be glad to sit gone. But I can't wait to see what's next and then start praying. One of my good friends, I can't think of his name, Ron Black. Preached here Wednesday night and he preached from 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. It doesn't say when the storm comes in, start praying. God says if my people which are which are called by my name, will pray now. We'll come before the throne room now. You know that you and I have been given immediate access to the throne room of God. Do you know that right now, you can walk into the presence of God Almighty? You can go boldly into the throne room of grace and mercy, fall on your face before God who can change everything at the thought. Do you not realize that we have the power to walk into the presence of a holy, sovereign, righteous, able to do anything without limitations, God, that can resolve whatever your problem is, fix whatever you need fixed, repair whatever's been broken? Do we not realize that we have a power to walk into a throne room of grace that gives us grace to go through the day? Do we not realize that we can walk into the throne room of mercy that can erase all my past as if though it never happened, buried in the deepest depths of the sea of forgetfulness, never to be brought up again? Do we not realize the power that we have? Paul says you need to stir up the gift that's in you. You've got something special in you. You have been touched by the hand of God. You have been anointed and appointed to do something for God. You have been moved by the mighty hand of God. You have been washed in the blood and called into his purpose. You have been anointed to do something special. Do we not realize the power that we have through prayer? And I'm going to ask us this morning to pray. I'm going to ask us to spread out across this altar and do what you need to do with social distancing. Maybe you want to slip your mask on before you walk back down. If you're uncomfortable, you're welcome to stay where you are. But I'm going to ask all of you that can and all of you that will, if you believe in the power of God to move mountains, calm storms, and make things change, I'm going to ask you to come to this altar because I believe there's strength in numbers where two or more are gathered in my name. And I'm going to ask you to spread out and find a place if you have to spread up the aisles or whatever it takes to spread out. I'm going to ask you, will you come, call out on behalf of this nation, on behalf of this country, on behalf of the election, on behalf of those that are lost and on their way to hell, on behalf of those who don't have a voice with God because they're still lost, will you cry out for them? Cry out for your lost family member. Cry out for your lost friend. Cry out for the one that works beside you that's lost and on their way to hell and don't want to hear the gospel. Cry out for the ones that need a touch. Stir up the gift. That's what Paul tells us. He says, I see something special in you. God sees something special in you. He gave you a purpose. He gave you a mission. He gave you a plan. I wonder if we could just come pray. These guys are going to sing a song. We're just going to take some time and pray.